he's, he's trying to infiltrate us. And as I told you that, Satan's goal is not simply to get you to sin, it's to get you to sin so that you'll be drawn away from God. Because a person who is just living their life in the fullness and presence of God lives differently. They're a threat to the enemy's kingdom. Much of the church is of no threat. It's of no regard. Because they are not actively, intentionally trying to spread the message. They're not actively, intentionally trying to do the works of Jesus. They're just kind of going through life and they're bringing Jesus along for the ride. They're kind of doing whatever they want and then they just kind of employ a little bit of Jesus time here and there. They go to church, maybe they'll read the Bible, maybe they'll do some good things. And that's all well and good, but none of that is what God or what Jesus has said to do. He didn't go around and say, hey, I'm choosing you as my disciple, and here's what I want you to do. I just kind of want you to hang out and just, like, think of me every once in a while. That's all I need. Like, live a morally good life. We'll be good. That's never once what he said. Immediately, he put these guys on mission. He told Paul, he's like, he needs to know all that he's going to suffer for what he's about to do. It's going to cost him everything in this world. And does that matter? Yes, it does. But should it? That's the problem. You see, we're so carnally minded that we're caught up in the things of this world. And we don't even recognize it. If you look at Isaiah 59, it says, verse 2, Your iniquities have separated you from God, and your sins have hidden his face from you, so that he will not hear. See, this is the idea of what sin is going to do. It's not that it changes your relationship with God. It changes your awareness of God. It changes the focus that you have with God. And you'll begin on this downward trajectory, whether you realize it or not. Most of the time, people do not realize that they are on a downward trajectory until they hit rock bottom. It usually takes something serious or intense for them to recognize. It's the idea of the frog in the pot, if you guys know what I'm talking about. That if you throw a frog in boiling water, it's going to immediately try to jump out. But if you put it in the water and turn on the fire, as it heats up, it won't move. It doesn't even notice it until it's too late. That's the concept here. Most of the time, what you see is this slow drift away from God. I heard somebody say this once, that if you're not growing daily, you're dying gradually. It's one of these things that the enemy has employed, and how he's doing it is what's interesting. We saw how he drew Adam and Eve away. He, we saw how he drew the Israelites away. We saw how he attempted to draw Jesus away. All the temptations, all the different things, all the people that were employed by him, so to speak, to be used to draw them away, false prophets, false teachers, Balaam, all of these different people that we've talked, they were all of using Satan or being used by Satan to tempt the, uh, the people of God away from him. That is what they were doing. When we see this in the parable of the four soils with the temptation, the cares of this world, the deceitfulness of riches, the pleasures of life, what do they do? They cause you to produce no fruit. What are we here to do? Produce fruit. And we wonder why the church is so screwed up. Because we don't even recognize what's happening. So we have to be aware of what the enemy's doing, first and foremost. And then we have to know who we are in him and how we overcome that. Because if we're being attacked and we don't recognize it, what do we do? We sit there and be attacked. So we have to know what's going on. In Leviticus chapter 19, verse 31, it says, Give no regard to mediums and familiar spirits. Do not seek after them to be defiled by them. I am the Lord your God. You see, we've been focusing this attention here over the last four weeks about this idea of what the enemy is doing in our society with the supernatural. That I'm telling you that the occult and witchcraft and Satanism is at ploy all around us. But we don't recognize it. 
I also told you when Chad was, uh, Gonzalez was in Kenya, he was talking to former witch doctors and said, I can't believe you American Christians put up with the, the witchcraft that you do because we don't know it because we don't recognize the signs. They know it because that's the world they came from. It's all about witchcraft. Leviticus 20, verse 1, it says, The Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Again, you should say to the children of Israel, Whoever of the children of Israel or of the strangers who dwell in Jerusalem, that means Israelite and non-Israelite. Those are the strangers. Who gives any of his descendants to Moloch, he shall surely be put to death. The people of the land shall stone him with stones. I will set my face against that man. I will cut him off from his people because he has given some of his descendants to Moloch to defile my sanctuary and profane my holy name. And if the people of the land should in any way hide their eyes from the man, what does that mean? Just look the other direction. Pretend it's not happening. What happens when he gives some of his descendants to Moloch and they do not kill him? I will set my face against that man and against his family, and I will cut him off from his people and all who prostitute themselves with him to commit harlotry with Moloch. So the people who do it and the people who allow it, the same boat, the person who turns to mediums and familiar spirits to prostitute himself with them, I will set my face against that person and cut him off from his people. Is that where you want to be? Now, I realize this is a, a mosaic covenant principle thing here, but it's just going on. But the idea behind this is still true. Why do we put up with it? Why do we stand for it? Why do we invite it into our homes? We do. But why? Because we are lethargic to it. We think it's no big deal. We think it's not a problem. Most of the time we don't even realize it's happening. We don't even recognize it. That is why we've been doing this. In Deuteronomy 18, verse 9, it says, When you come into the land the Lord your God is giving you, you shall not learn to follow the abominations of those nations. There shall not be found among you anyone who makes his son or his daughter pass through the fire, or one who practices witchcraft, a soothsayer, one who interprets omens, a sorcerer, or one who conjures spells, a medium, a spiritist, one who calls up the dead. For all who do these things are an abomination to the Lord. That's a big word. When God says abomination, it's intense. And because of these abominations, the Lord your God drives them out from before you. You should be blameless before the Lord your God for these nations which you will dispossess. Listen to the soothsayers and diviners. But as for you, the Lord your God has not appointed such for you. You see, these were people who were contacting the supernatural realm. They were for hire. This was all around the Israelites. What were they supposed to do? Drive them out. Have nothing to do with them. What did they do? Not drive them out. And they had a lot to do with them. They were probably playing pickleball on Thursdays. I don't even know. But the thing is, is that there is a reason that God was saying that you need to drive these people out. You need to get this out of your life. You need to get this out of your land. Why? What will happen? You'll be drawn to it. There's something alluring about it that will bring you in. You see, the church today has been taught that none of this stuff is real. It's just fake. It's not real. Don't worry about it. Just, just disregard it. I'm telling you, God would not put a proclamation out to avoid this at all costs if it was just nonsense. Do you know why he said, thou shalt not murder? Because murder's real. He's never put a proclamation out for something that was fake. It's the same today. Have you ever seen a counterfeit $3 bill? You haven't. Because it's not real. If you go and try to play, pay with the $3 bill, what happens? It won't end well. I don't know, maybe in Colorado you get away with it. I don't know. Maybe. I mean, the thing is, is there's a reason that God has put these standards in place. 
Avoid this. Don't do this. Don't be like them. Because these things are very real, and they will get you drawn in away from God. The supernatural world is the real world. You and I are living in a a 3D um, rendering, if you will. Because all of this is going to go away. It says that God holds the whole world by his hand. And one of these days, he's just going to let it go and start over. We spend our entire existence trying to accumulate everything that we can in this world, and all of it is going to go away. So these people that were being called out, he's telling the Israelites, stay away from them. Have nothing to do with them. If you even watch it happen and you look the other way, they're talking about sacrificing their children. This is a problem. It still happens today. So what I was showing you guys, and this is what I wanted you to get, is the things are around us and it's becoming more prevalent, or at least more out in the open, I should say. We initially started talking about the music industry and the whole idea of they sold their souls to the devil. Now, I know that's always kind of been used as a euphemism, but as I showed you, these guys are saying it with their own mouths and are not denying what's going on. I showed you video of that. I've showed you uh, clips of that. I've showed you all sorts of stuff. It's very, very prevalent. And it's stuff that we should be avoided. I showed you the different symbols and things like that to look at. Like, it is very prevalent. Then we got into the entertainment industry as a whole. Movies and, and, and TV shows and whatnot. And if it was true for them to avoid all of that, should it not be true for us today? Absolutely. But we invite these things into our house I'm not saying you can't listen to a song, you can't watch a movie. I'm not saying that. I'm saying we need to be aware of what is going on because some of this stuff is so blatant. And I showed you how it starts so innocently. These these young ladies or young men who start off and they're singing songs and they're just nice, they're nice little songs. And then the further along in their career they get, the more dark and sinister it gets. It's an enticement to bring you in here, and then when you fall in love with the person, not just the music, you'll follow them over here. We're allowing our children to listen to these songs, to see these movies. You may think it doesn't matter. I'm going to show you today it does. I'm going to show you guys some stuff today that I've talked about before, but I'm going to show you from a real-world example of what's going on in the church, what happens, how the enemy attacks the church. So in order to do that, i got to start with the first thing. Now, this is going to sound a little weird. I need you to just bear with me for a minute, okay? We're going to go over to Proverbs chapter 6. I'm going to give you a chance to turn there. Proverbs chapter 6, we're going to start in verse 16. Just showing you guys a few things here. These six things the Lord hates, yes, seven are an abomination to him. Now, remember what I said about that word abomination. These are pretty serious. God hates these things. A proud look. Well, that doesn't sound such a big deal. A lying tongue. Well, that doesn't sound like such a big deal. Hands that shed innocent blood. Okay, now I get that. I get on board with that. A heart that devises wicked plans. Feet that are swift and running to evil. Now watch this. A false witness who speaks lies and one who sows discord among the brethren. Now, what are we talking about here? One who spreads lies and one who sows discord among the brethren. What does that sound like? If we were to put that in a one word, it would be gossip. That's essentially what it is. It's gossip. Now, we hear about gossip all the time. You go around town, you hear gossip, right? 
if you go down to the local coffee spot, sit down with all the old farmers that get there at 4 o'clock in the morning, what do you hear? You hear gossip, the latest. You get down to the old quilting place with the little old ladies that are sitting there quilting, what do you hear? You hear gossip. But it says that this is an abomination to the Lord. We don't think of gossip as a big deal, but apparently God does. And one who sows discord among the brethren. One who stirs the pot. One who creates trouble among the brethren. Now here it is talking about the nation of Israel as a whole. We could take this and look at this and be like, well, this could be in the church. So does God take gossip pretty seriously? It seems, well, let's look at another one. Psalm 101 verse 5. Whoever secretly slanders his neighbor, him I will destroy. The one who has a haughty look and a proud heart, him I will not endure. Secretly slanders his neighbor. What do you think we're talking about? We're talking about gossiping. Proverbs chapter 26, verse 20. Proverbs 26, verse 20. Where there is no wood, the fire goes out. And where there is no tailbearer, strife ceases. So what happens when you get rid of the gossiper? The strife goes away. You see a pattern kind of developing here a little bit? How does God feel about gossiping? There are dozens and dozens of verses. We're going to look at a couple more, but I just wanted to show you these. 1 Timothy chapter 5, verse 11. But refuse the younger widows, for when they have begun to grow wanton against Christ, they desire to marry, having condemnation because they have cast off their first faith. And besides, they learn to be idle, wandering about from house to house, and not only idle, but also gossips and busybodies, saying things which they ought not. Now, do you think when Paul's writing this to Timothy, he's writing this as like, hey, this is a great thing for the young women's club to do. No, he's warning Timothy. He's the pastor of the church of Ephesus. He's warning about this gossip, these, these young women that are out there gossiping and they're busybodies. They're talking about things they shouldn't be talking about. You guys see that? Let's go to one, another one, Romans chapter 1. This would probably be the last one you would have ever thought we'd go to. Romans chapter 1, if you're familiar with this passage or this entire uh, chapter, it's talking about the wrath of God against certain things that we're seeing in society. Here we go, verse 18. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth and unrighteousness because what may be known of God is manifest in them for God has shown it to them. Now, let's stop. What does it mean to suppress the truth? It means you see the truth, but you don't want to admit the truth. So you deny it, even though it's right in front of you. So, whether the Pharisees, when they were dealing with Christ, were they ignorant that he was the Messiah, or were they trying to suppress the truth? They wanted to suppress the truth. They wanted to kill Lazarus. They tried to pay the guards to say, well, tell them that, that you fell asleep and, and the apostles came and they took his body. Because all the proof was there. So it wasn't a lack of knowledge, it was the fact that they did not want to admit it, so they suppressed the truth in unrighteousness. Fair enough? For since the creation of the world, in verse 20, his invisible attributes are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse. Because although they knew God, 
They did not glorify him as God, nor were thankful, but became futile in their thoughts, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Professing to be wise, they became fools and changed the glory of the incorruptible God into an image made like corruptible man, and birds, and four-footed animals, and creeping things. Therefore God also gave them up to the un- their uncleanness, and the lust of their hearts to dishonor their bodies among themselves, who exchanged the truth of God for the lie, and worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator, who is blessed forever. Amen. For this reason. Now, what reason? All the things that he said before, that they suppressed the truth and unrighteousness. For this reason, God gave them up to vile passions. For even their women exchanged the natural use for what is against nature. Likewise, also the men, leaving the natural use of the woman, burned in their lust for one another, men with men committing what is shameful and receiving in himself the penalty of their error which was due. Now, what does this sound like to you? It's exactly what it is. It's homosexuality. But what it, it's not just a lifestyle. This is God removing his hand, and he gave them up to it. It's like they were being held back, but because they have rejected God in their heart, now he has released that, and now he is turning them over almost like a judgment against them. You go right ahead. You do what you want. For this reason, God gave them up to the vile passions. Now, let's go to verse 28. And even as they did not like to retain God in their knowledge, God gave them over to a debased mind to do those things which are not fitting, being filled with all unrighteousness, sexual immorality, wickedness, covetousness, maliciousness, full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, evil-mindedness. This is bad stuff. But look at the next one. They are whisperers, backbiters, haters of God, violent, proud, boasters, inventors of evil things, disobedient to parents, undiscerning, untrustworthy, unloving, unforgiving, unmerciful, who knowing the righteous judgment of God, that those who practice such things are deserving death, but not only do the same, but also approve of those who practice them. Does that not sound similar to what we were talking about earlier? If you see them sacrificing their children to Moloch, and you do nothing, I will hold you accountable to that as well. Did we not see that? What did it just say? Those who practice those things and those who approve. Who's being held accountable? Both. Now, in this list of really, really, really bad things, you caught the, they are whisperers. That's another way of saying gossip. Is it not a little crazy to think about how heavy God is against gossip when we just kind of disregard it. Do you realize that gossip is prevalent in the church? Not When I say the church, don't misunderstand me that we got a gossip problem here, okay? How do we gossip in the church today? Hey, will you be praying for Sally? Because I heard that she's having an affair on her husband, and we need to be praying for her one of the most prominent ways that we gossip in the church today. And it goes beyond that. But that's not the last one. There's a couple more. Let's look at 2 Timothy chapter 2. Verse 14. Remind them of these things, charging them before the Lord, not to strive about words to no profit, to the ruin of the hearers. Be diligent to present yourselves approved to God, a worker who does not need to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth, but shun profane and idle babblings. It's talking about gossip. For they will increase to more ungodliness. Now we see a consequence. What happens with gossip? 
It will lead to more ungodliness. And their message will spread like cancer. The gossiper's message will spread like cancer. Hymenaeus and Philetus are of this sort. So he's calling them out by name. You know, we live in a time where we don't like to do that. We don't want to call anybody out who is leading people astray by name because it's unloving. Well, somebody should have let Paul know that. Hymenaeus and Philetus are of this sort who have strayed concerning the truth, saying that the resurrection is already past, and they overthrow the faith of some. Nevertheless, the solid foundation of God stands, having this seal. The Lord knows those who are His, and let everyone who names the name of Christ depart from iniquity. So again, we see this gossip thing. Let's, let's look at a couple more. 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 20. 2 Corinthians 12, verse 20 says, For I fear, lest when I come, I shall not find you such as I wish, and that I shall be found by you such as you do not wish, lest there be contentions and jealousies, outbursts of wrath, selfish ambitions, backbitings, whisperings, conceits, tumults, lest when I come again, my God will humble me among you, and I shall mourn for many who have sinned before and have not repented of the uncleanness, fornication, and lewdness which they have practiced. There's whisperings again. Let's look at one more. First Peter chapter 4, verse 15. But let none of you suffer as a murderer, a thief, an evildoer, or as a busybody in other people's matters. So Peter here is comparing it with murder, theft, and doing of evil is gospel. So is it a big deal to God? Yeah. You may be sitting here thinking, okay, we get it, okay? But what does that have to do with what you've been talking about? Well, give me a minute. Because I promise I'm going somewhere with this. But you need to see how serious God is about this topic. See, what happens with gossip is a message comes in, whether it's true or not true, it doesn't matter, and it begins to spread like cancer, and it will begin to stir the proverbial pot. You see, that's one method that the enemy will use. He'll use gossip. And we'll come back to that here in a minute. But there's another thing that he does that we don't even recognize half the time. So go to 2 Corinthians chapter 11. We addressed this a little bit, but I want to go into this a little deeper because I want to show you something today. 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 1. It says, Oh, that you would bear with me a uh, in a little folly, and indeed you do bear with me, for I am jealous for you with godly jealousy. For I have betrothed you to one husband, that I may present you as a chaste virgin to Christ. But I fear, lest somehow, as the serpent deceived Eve by his craftiness, so your minds may be corrupted from the simplicity that is in Christ. For if he who comes preaches another Jesus, whom we have not preached, or if you receive a different spirit, which you have not received, or a different gospel, which you have not accepted, you may well put up with it. Now, who is the he who comes? It doesn't tell us, but certainly if they're preaching, what does it imply? He's writing this to the church in Corinth. That means that there's people that are coming in, and if they come and they preach another Jesus. In other words, the characteristics of Jesus, who he is, what he came to do, his fullness, his attributes, all of that is clearly for you and I laid out in the pages of Scripture. We do not get to turn Jesus into a flower child. We do not get to turn Jesus into anything that we want him to be. He is who he is. We find that there. These guys knew of Jesus from who? All the dudes that hung out with Jesus. They probably saw him themselves. They heard his teaching. We do not know how many from the church of Corinth came through 
and saw Jesus live and in person. They probably bought tickets to watch him preach. So when you look at this, it's like if he who comes preaches another Jesus that we haven't preached, or if you receive a different spirit, which you have not received, or a different gospel, which you have not accepted, you may well put up with it. This is a false teacher. Okay? Understand that. Let's go to another one, 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 12. But what I do, I will also continue to do, that I may cut off the opportunity from those who desire an opportunity to be regarded just as we are in the things of which they boast. For such are false apostles, deceitful workers, transforming themselves into apostles of Christ, and no wonder. For Satan himself transforms himself into an angel of light. Therefore, it is no great things if his ministers also transform themselves into ministers of righteousness, whose end will be according to their works. Now, deceitful workers transforming themselves into what? Apostles of Christ. But who are they really? Apostles of Satan. Now, are they just people who are confused and maybe are teaching the wrong thing? No. Who do they work for? They work for the enemy, but what are they projecting themselves as? Ministers of righteousness. Do we see that today? Absolutely. Happens all the time. We have an entire generation being led astray by a false gospel. That you can just be whatever, you can just do whatever, doesn't matter. God loves everybody unconditionally. They use the same words, but they twist the meaning. See, they transform themselves into ministers of righteousness, but whose ministers are they? They're Satan's. Let's look at another one, 2 Peter chapter 2. Start in verse 1, 2 Peter chapter 2, verse 1, it says, But there were also false prophets among the people. And even as there will be false teachers among you who will secretly bring in destructive heresies, even denying the Lord who bought them, and bring on themselves swift destruction, and many will follow their destructive ways because of whom the, the way of truth will be blasphemed. By covetousness they will exploit you with deceptive words. For a long time their judgment has not been idle, and their destruction does not slumber. Does that sound like somebody who's maybe just got a wrong teaching? That maybe he's a little confused. No, this sounds intentional, does it not? Where are these people, these false prophets and false teachers, among you? They will be among you and may already be. Do you see what he's saying here? I want to make sure you catch that because this is important. Go to Revelation chapter 2, verse 1. And I know you guys know a lot of these verses, but I promise this matters. Revelation chapter 2, verse 1, it says, To the angel of the church of Ephesus write, These things says he who holds the seven stars in his right hand, who walks in the midst of the seven golden lampstands. I know your works, your labor, your patience, and that you cannot bear those who are evil. And you have tested those who say they are apostles and are not, and have found them liars. So does that mean that the church of Ephesus had people that came in claiming to be apostles, but they were smart enough to test what they were saying and found that they weren't and rejected them? Is that what it just said? That is exactly what it said. So were false apostles trying to get into the church of Ephesus? Yep. Absolutely. Let's go to another one. Matthew chapter 24, verse 23. Matthew 24, verse 23 says, Then if anyone says to you, look, here is the Christ, or there, do not believe it. For false Christ and false prophets will rise and show great signs and wonders to deceive, if possible, even the elect. See, I've told you beforehand. So there will be false messiahs. There will be false prophets. And what will they do? Show signs and wonders. Does that mean they'll just be parlor tricks? Magic tricks, look over here, not over here type stuff. No, it says it'll show great signs and great wonders. That, why can they do that? Who do they work for? 
This is not somebody who has prophesied falsely and just missed God. False prophets, false teachers are always intentional in what they're doing. They know that they are not hearing from God, but yet they are portraying themselves as something else, as a minister of righteousness. So it's not deception, it's intentionality. You see that for what we've read so far, but it's abundantly clear in Matthew chapter 7, verse 15. Matthew 7, verse 15, Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ravenous wolves. You will know them by their fruits. You know that passage, it goes on beyond, besides that. Ironically, just before this is the judge not lest you be judged, and yet he's calling somebody a false prophet. He says, Beware of them. They come to you in sheep's clothing. What does that mean? They look like you. They may sound like you. But what are they inwardly? Ravenous wolves. What are they looking to do? Destroy from within. He's talking about the people of God here. Does that sound like they just were teachers that maybe just didn't know any better? Have taught something falsely? No. It's intentional. They know what they are, but they are leading the body of Christ astray. One more. Acts chapter 20. Verse 28. This is my favorite one. Acts chapter 20, verse 28. Therefore, take heed to yourselves and to all the flock. Now, what is the flock? It's the church. Among which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. Now, what is an overseer? You could call them a pastor. Whatever it is, they are. If you have the flock that you are overseeing, you have an authority over that flock. A spiritual responsibility to care for them. It says, to shepherd the church of God, which he purchased with his own blood. For I know this. Now, this is Paul talking. I know this. After my departure, savage wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. So he's warning them. They're going to come in. They do not care about these people. Also, from among yourselves, men will rise up, speaking perverse things, to draw away the disciples after themselves. Where do these people rise up from? Within the church. Within the body. Does that mean that they were just born again people and maybe they started teaching bad things? Or does that maybe, possibly, maybe, we don't know, imply that they were there the entire time until an opportunity presented itself to really show their true colors? Either is at least possible. Verse 31, therefore watch and remember that for three years, I did not cease to warn everyone night and day with tears. I relate to that because from a pastoral standpoint, you deliver a message. It's like, man, I've seen this before. I know how this ends. And what do people do? Just like your kids. Sometimes you got to go out the hard way. Sometimes you got to learn it on your own. Sometimes you got to reject the knowledge of those who have been before. Some people will reject a direct word from the Lord. I had a young lady sit in my office several years ago, and I could see the slow decay happening, and I had a word for her, and she was chasing a career, and I said, that career will bring your destruction. It will be your downfall, because your heart is there, and you are walking away from God, but God wants to do something with you. He wants to use you. She was a fireball. She was into a apologetic. She was reaching people for the Lord. You know what she's doing today? Not living for the Lord. 
There's been more than one of those. And what do you do for night and day with tears? You warn them. You see it. Do they listen? It's up to them. It's up to them. So we see, we gossip, and we see the false prophets, and the false teachers, and the false apostles. And what do they all have in common? The enemy is behind it. Now, I promised you I was going somewhere with this, and so let me introduce you to somebody. This guy's name is Zachary King. Now, I have talked about him in years past, but this man was, at one point, the high wizard in the satanic church. At any point in time, there's less than 10 high wizards around the world. They get in with different covens. Um, They are the guys that get hired. Sometimes you'll see them in different TV shows. You don't even know that you're seeing them, okay? But they'll dress a certain way. Because what do we think of when we think Satanist, right? Maybe some face paint, tattoos everywhere, things like that. Yeah, a little horn, a little Seinfeld. Maybe no Seinfeld, I don't know. Like, we think of that way, but what did I show you about the, the uh, Alaskan woman who won uh, the opportunity to open in prayer, and she opened it with a satanic prayer? She looked like a school librarian. Like, that is the norm. The crazy stuff you see is the extreme, and that's rare. Most of the people who are Satanists, you would never expect, never recognize in any way. It's the same thing that when you hear about somebody when they bust a serial killer, And then, like, their neighbors are like, he was the nicest guy. I cannot believe. Like the one that was at BTC or whatever down in Wichita. Yeah, they're like, he was fantastic neighbor. Had no idea. He's just out murdering people just for fun. So this guy here, Zachary King, satanic high wizard, and as he gave his testimony, he was telling, he's come to faith in Christ through the Catholic Church, okay? Now, you've heard me say this before. A Catholic can truly be born again, but they didn't necessarily get there from the current teachings of the Roman Catholic Church. Now, he claims that he helped 1,200 rock stars sell their soul to the devil. He came to Christ either in the late 80s or early 90s, somewhere in there, I can't remember. 1,200 rock stars sell their soul. Now, here's the story about this guy. He grew up in a Baptist home. And um, they were at church every week. Every day, I mean, every time that the church was open, they were there. And um, they, uh, the pastor there was always talking about money, probably because they were struggling with it, talking about you got to give. And he was getting kind of tired of that, even as a youngster. But he began to practice magic at age 10, and he joined the Satanic Covenant at age 13. Now, what got him interested in this? Growing up in a Baptist church. If you've ever gone to a Baptist church, they're very gospel-oriented. Most of them are. I mean, there's weird outliers to everything. Most of them are. You're going to hear the gospel constantly. They went to church every day, or every opportunity they could. It was, they had a youth group. They had all sorts of stuff. He was there all the time. What got him into uh, magic and what ultimately led to Satanism is he was fascinated by it because of what he saw in movies. Now, we may think movies are just movies, but when he see these spells that are going on and this magic, he started thinking, man, I wonder if this is real. I wonder if we can do this. And so he went to his pastor to talk to him about this. Uh, like I said, he was pretty young. And the pastor said, that's just movies. That stuff's not real. Don't worry about that. You need to not do it. And he's like, huh. Well, he saw a spell that's called a money spell in a movie. Okay? And so he thought, well, I'm going to test this stuff out. So he did a magic spell for money. 
And later that day, he found a can of tennis balls with a $5 bill in it. Now, when you're 10 years old, that's pretty cool, right? Surely it's just a coincidence, right? He said, hmm. And $5 went a long way back in the 80s or 70s or however old he was. I don't even know. 60s, whatever it was. So he did another one. And he found a $10 bill on the street. So now he's got 15 bucks. He's in hog heaven. He talks about doing it later on, and he found 10 $100 bills laying somewhere. I mean, so he's getting sold. He was doing these magic spells, and, and so he's going to school, and there was this game that was being played in the school. I remember playing it as a youngster. It's called Bloody Mary. Have you guys ever heard of that? What it is is you walk into a room, usually a bathroom, because they'd have a mirror in there. You turn off all the lights, and you stand there, and you say Bloody Mary three times, and a burn victim would appear. And what a burn victim. It would be a demon. And it was a game that I remember playing it in elementary school. Bunch of my friends and I, as we'd go in there. Now, you guys know what we saw? Nothing. It was really dark. <laughs> we didn't see nothing. Nothing happened, which is interesting. And when he did it for the most part, he said, we didn't see anything. He said, but I just kept doing it. I'd do it at home. I'd do it every chance I got. And he's like, and then one day, he's like, all of a sudden, I saw something. And he's like, that was, it freaked him out at first, but it was interesting. And so he'd do it again. And he, he, he said, every chance he got, because he was so fascinated with the ability to do magic. And he's seeing something happen. And so he uh, went in the bathroom one time, and this is where he did that money spell right after he did the Bloody Mary thing. This thing appeared. He did the money spell, and that's where he found the 10 $100 bills later that day. So he's now fully convinced. But they're not talking about this at church. They're not talking about this anywhere. He just said this stuff isn't real. Well, now he's got the proof. And if you're finding money, does that take much to sell you on? Not really. So they had this friend of his that went to the church youth group, and he'd kind of gone away for a little bit and didn't know any, you know, what happened to him or anything like that, and he comes back, starts coming around. Well, this was a friend that they used to play Dungeons and Dragons with. You guys familiar with that game? And everybody kind of dismisses that. You know, it's like, ah, oh, it's just a game you can play. Yeah, that's true. It is just a game. You probably could just play it. But if you understand or you recognize it, you probably wouldn't want to. Because why would I want to mess with any of that kind of stuff when I realize the origins of it and that the spells behind it are actual spells and that the, the characters that are named are actual demonic names that are found in ancient writings? Why would I want to mess with that kind of stuff? But this is one of his buddies that they would play Dungeons and Dragons with. And so he disappeared for several months, comes back. And starts telling him about this place where he's been playing D&D. And he's like, this place is awesome. Because we can kind of do whatever we want. Play as long as we want. They got soda there. They got candy bars. Like, we can do whatever we want. What he didn't know, and he later found out, is this young man, this is a satanic coven that he had joined. And this kid was a recruiter. 12 years old. And he was to go out and recruit his friends to come and join the coven. Where is he recruiting at? His church. The youth group. Okay. He told him that he was playing with this new group. He wanted him to come and play. And there when they went, he went the first time because he liked this guy and he wanted to check it out. But he got there and there was freedom there because they could do whatever they wanted. And he began smoking and drinking and there was drugs and he got involved in pornography at 12 years old. When I say involved in pornography, I don't simply mean looking at it. I mean playing a part in it and creating it. it may sound crazy. That's this guy's testimony. Now, if you look at him, he looks a little crazy, doesn't he? You're like, you look at his picture, you're like, yeah, Satanist, I get it. 
But that's not really the crux of everything, because I could go into all of those details and talk about that and how he got recruited and all of this other stuff. It certainly is valuable, but that's not what I want to focus my attention. Because as he grew and he began to walk in this more, he got more powerful, his spells became more, more effective, he learned how to essentially manipulate the demons is how he would say it. He would utilize them because that's how these spells work. You get them to work uh, on your behalf and you're doing certain things. There were blood sacrifices that were being done. He tells stories about how he went to a coven meeting and they would have a doctor. It was a doctor who was uh, part of the coven and he would perform an abortion right there. And it was, again, it was a blood sacrifice, a death sacrifice, and they would throw the remains of the child. It'd be a third term abortion, throw the remains of the child on the floor and the Satanist would consume it. I know it sounds gross, but I'm just telling you what's out there. Now, could he be making all this stuff up? Sure. I don't know. I wasn't there. I have no intention of going to you know, the local uh, Satanist meeting just to verify any of this, but I'm taking his word for it um, because I've heard it from multiple sources, not just him. I've heard this story time and time again. Uh, there's all sorts of this type of stuff. They talk about sacrificing children. You hear about children disappearing and they never find them again. You hear about adults disappearing and they never find them again. Sometimes that's what's going on. Animal sacrifice, there's always blood sacrifice. I showed you the videos of the different stuff that goes on, you know, and I don't want to go into all of that. Those all were real, but the thing I wanted to show you guys today is that as a part of their coven, as a part of the high wizard, he was very high up. He traveled all around the world. He was hired by, he said it would be movie stars, presidents, all of these things to cast spells, to do things, to get them certain things they want. Most of it was fame, fortune, notoriety, etc. But he said one of the things that they would do is they would intentionally split churches. And they knew that if they could get a church to split, and that split part did not land within a six-month window, that there was about a 90% chance it never would. And what they would do is they would send people in to infiltrate the church. These would be bankers, these would be teachers, lawyers, doctors, etc. People that you don't think of when you think Satanist. You, you know, if you get somebody with a face tattoo walking into your church, your alarm goes up a little, right? Because that is what we are, are, are taught to think. It's like, well, obviously something sinful, whether it's today or at some point in their life, was going on. But these were just average folks, well-known folks in a community. And they were part of these covens, and they would go in to join the church, and they would get very active. And they would work their way either to the board or, or someplace like that. And they would begin to do the work of their God. Now, some of these people that were used, and I'm going to get into what they did, because this will all make sense here in a minute, were dedicated to Satan from the moment of birth. Now, that sounds crazy, but if you think about it, Samuel was dedicated to God. Why not? You try to have a hard time believing about like, well, how could anybody do that? It happens all the time. I can tell you a, a story, and I would leave names out of it, but it happened just a few years ago that I had to get involved with over in Auburn because a mother was prostituting out her 13-year-old daughter. So don't think this stuff doesn't happen. It happens all the time. It's around us. So it's bad. But these people, many of which had either joined or through birth were brought up, and they were trained from the time that they were born that they would be utilizing it. You hear about sex trafficking, and they get these children when they're very, very young, and they are raised up to be used, sometimes by their parents. So it's bad. But what did they do? Well, there was three things that they would bring in to split up a church, okay? A financial accusation, a sexual accusation, or simply gossip. 
Now that sounds crazy, but hear me out. The financial part, what would happen? Well, they would go in there and do a number of things. Uh, one of the things that they would try to do is try to make accusations about misappropriations of funds. They would say, oh, the pastor's doing this, he's living lavishly, he's spending the church money, all of that kind of stuff. Is it true? Not necessarily, but all you have to do is plant the seed. The other thing that they would do is they would intentionally try to financially wipe out a church. They would go in there and start trying to get things approved and try to get things, you know, spend money where they didn't need to spend, things like that. Because when a church is run by a board, all you need is a majority vote and you can get your agenda done. It's a dangerous position to be in. But that's how most churches operate. And so they would get there and they would get the banker. Well, who's not going to want a banker on their church board that maybe has a financial IQ that an average guy may not have because that's what he deals with, his money? Well, that's all well and good until you find out that he's a Satanist, okay? Now, the sexual one is interesting because they would have these young girls that would go in there and they would simply make an accusation against the pastor, which is still gossip. However, many times they would go in there and try to entice the pastor, and unfortunately, many times it worked because pastors think everybody has a good heart that means well, and they, you know, they're just looking for help, and you try to help them, and then you let your guard down, and one thing leads to another. And so they would come in there, and they would entice the pastor, and all in the intentionality of bringing down the church. That was their goal. He said he split 187 churches in his local area, wherever he lived. I can't remember now. I think it was California. But the last one was gossip. And that one surprised me a little bit. It was interesting because I, I had never really thought of gossip. I mean, I know it's bad, and I know it can lead to bad things, but I never really thought much of it, at least in this regard. But what would happen is they would send four, five, six people into a church, and they'd all start saying negative things about the church pastor or the leadership. And they would start to raise a coup around them. And before long, you had people that, I don't like this, these colors, I don't like this, and the church would get divided, it would split, and most of the time the split would fail, and a lot of times what was left didn't have enough resources to sustain long term, and the church would ultimately close. Now, he would talk about this, is that they would send people in, he said, sometimes the church people there helped us out more than anything, because somebody would get disgruntled, and they would begin to gossip on their own. They're being used by the enemy to make accusations against the pastor, saying things, well, you know, that guy, he just lost his fire. He used to be such a great preacher, but he's not anymore. You know, we're just not learning anything. We're not being fed. Well, when a mature person says that to an immature person, what does that immature person begin to think? They begin to think, well, maybe, maybe they're right. It's just stuff like that. But this was all about intentionality. See, this is the stuff that is happening around us that we don't even recognize. If you think about church splits that maybe you've heard of in the past, I bet you, and I, after I listened to his testimony, this was about seven years ago I found this guy. I started going back and I started researching some of the churches that I was familiar with, and the things that he described is exactly what was going on. It makes you wonder. It makes you wonder. But again, the false teaching, they get people in there, start raising a ruckus, and they start bringing a false teaching. They raise somebody up from among them. People start following them, telling them what they want to hear. I mean, how many people have you ever heard say, he's like, man, I'm just looking for a church where I feel comfortable? Should you? No. I had the lady tell me that one more time. I knew for a fact that this woman um, was having an affair, and the guy was having an affair. They were having an affair together, and she said, hey, I'd really like to come check out your church. I said, I'm looking for a place that would just make me feel comfortable. I said, you don't want to come to my church because if you feel comfortable, I'm not doing my job. And sure enough, she never came to the church. 
But I mean, it's reality. But that's what happens is that we get people raising up. And the reason I'm showing you guys this is, number one, gossip is very, very powerful. But I want you to see the intentionality of what happens. You see, the church body should be a cohesive unit, dedicated and sold out to God. It's not, but it should be. We should all be on mission for the Lord. But we're not, but we should be. And we should be doing the work of the Father, just what Jesus did. Should be, but we're not. We should be. And so when we look at that, we're like, okay, we're not going the same direction. Well, why is that possibly happening? Is it possible that the enemy has gotten a foothold in somewhere in our life, whether it was intentional that a satanic coven sent somebody into our place? Maybe, but maybe not. But maybe it's because we've allowed the enemy to get a foothold in our heart to keep us from doing those things that we should be doing. And so as, you know, we, we wrap this portion up and we, we're going to get into the next part, my biggest thing is I want you to see, the enemy's at work all around us. And he's, we're inviting things into our homes, into our lives, and many times we don't even recognize it. And many times we've invited it into our church. And gossip is the number one thing that I have seen cause more turmoil in churches than anything else. They get brought down from within. The attack from the outside of the church has no effect on it. No weapon formed against us will ever prosper if we're standing on the Word of God. But every church I've ever seen that's ever had issues, it came from within. And so the enemy is using that. We have to be aware of his devices. We have to be aware of what's going on. We need to cleanse ourselves from all unrighteousness and get rid of these things in our lives that are keeping us from progressing. Because where we go to this next part is all about doing what Jesus did. Knowing what the enemy did, but who God is and who I am in relationship with him, that's everything. Because that will make you active. It'll make you stand up and be like, man, if Jesus did it, I can do it, and I'm going to go, and I'm going to get after it. Amen. I know it's weird, y'all. Just bear with me. But let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that it is true, and we thank you that in all things that we can trust you and know what you have said will come to pass. Lord, and I thank you that you've given us everything that we need. We are lacking nothing, nothing to do what you've called us to do. We're lacking nothing to walk in the fullness of your power. We're lacking nothing to be your hands and feet, your mouthpiece in this world, Lord. Lord, I pray that our eyes are open to the reality of the world around us, that we can see the darkness from every side and that we not get sucked into it. But Lord, more importantly, I just pray that we recognize that the light that's in us will outshine any darkness and that there is no power of the enemy that can overcome the name of Jesus. And your name is upon us. Lord, I just thank you that as we grow and rise up, that we will see the powerful manifestation of that name. We give you all glory. It's in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, thank you guys. Go buy all the honey and then go eat all the pizza and then we'll pack all the boxes. And sell all the honey. Sell all the honey. All the honey.